Hey church, Pastor Cody here, and I just want to say thank you for stopping by and joining us in worship today. And while we're super excited that you're hanging out with us for this message, we also want to remind you that this is really just um, a supplemental resource that cannot and will not replace the local church. So while um, we're, we're glad that you're here, while we're glad that you're encouraged and, and, and uh, challenged and shaped by the Word of God that's being preached today, we also want to um, let you know that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the uh, gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible-believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you. I mean, he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church. And we love Jesus and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us and we're glad you're here. Hey, it's Flood Sunday. Yeah, hey, um, man, we love we love Baptism Sunday around here and and if this is your first baptism that you've experienced with, with us, um, we just want to let you know why we get so hyped for baptism, because we believe that uh, any chance we get, it's a privilege to celebrate Jesus in some really grand ways. And the reality is that when Jesus came to this earth at his incarnation, you know, he might have came meek and mild, humbly as a babe. But at his return, church, what he's going to do is he's going to split the skies open and he's going to leverage the full weight of the glory of heaven with him. And he's going to break through and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're glad that you're here with us this morning. I have a little fist bump emoji. My notes there by that, by the way. Um, I'm Adam. I'm one of the pastors here, and, and we're so glad that you're hanging out with us this morning. We, we have a lot of fun in this place, and, and, and we take Jesus and the scriptures incredibly serious, but we take ourselves a lot less serious. Amen. Um, you know, I was wondering, have you ever seen that show on TV called House Hunters? Has anybody seen that? House Hunters before? Well, it's a TV series uh, that's on HG. TV and, and what they do is they walk behind the scenes and they look at individuals and families and couples as they try to figure out which home is, is right for, for them, which one's meant for them. And, I, you know, I think it's kind of bad for your, for your mental health, at least, to watch this show because after you watch uh, House Hunters, what it kind of leaves you with are you walk away with these really magnanimous and unrealistic or false expectations of what could correlate to your life, you know? Uh, it's like Pinterest in that sense. Like it, it has this picture of beauty, but then you do it and it's kind of crappy, you know. And um, if, you, if you haven't seen this show, though, the intro, uh, as they intro into it, what they'll, what they'll kind of say is, is something along this lines. They'll go, this week on House Hunters, meet Tim and Stella, this cute newlywed couple from upstate New York, and they're looking for a house to make their home. And so they're looking for a split level uh, with granite countertops and 10 dishwashers. And uh, meet Tim, the husband. Tim works making sculpture art from wet cereal for a living. And Stella, Tim's wife, she sells ornamental ferret pillows on Etsy. And their all-in budget is a modest $860,000. <laughs> and you watch this and you're like, what am I doing with my life, man, you know? 
You know, Proverbs chapter 13, it reminds us in this sense, verse 12, it says that hope deferred, it makes the heart sick, but a dream that's fulfilled is like a tree of life. And I think we all know to some degree what it, what it feels like to have our hopes kind of shot down, to, to walk through uh, uh, an unmet or even false expectation, you know, that's not uh, fulfilled. It's similar to when you, you open up the Christmas present on Christmas morning and you look inside and it's not at all what you had hoped for. Or, or, or maybe like when you go to, to McDonald's and you, or Taco John's and you order that sweet tea and you wait to get that first satisfying gulp and then you realize all of a sudden it's unsweet tea. And um, is there anything worse in the world than that, you know? I said that to my wife last night. She was like, yes, Adam, there are a lot more things worse in the world than that. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know, you know? But we all know what it means to have unmet expectations, unfulfilled uh, expectations, false expectations. We have an idea in our mind of how life should be, how everything is going to pan out. And, and, and what happens when the proverbial rug is pulled out from underneath our, our feet, it can be devastating to us. Disappointment, it sets in and it kind of takes the, the, the wind out of our, our sails, so to speak. And it can leave us bitter, it can leave us angry, and, and it often leaves us without a, a lot of hope. Have you ever dealt with unmet expectations before, maybe with a job or with a spouse or with a relationship or, dare I even say, with God? See, expectations in of themselves, they're not bad, right? Expectations can be a really good thing. They can, they can fuel us with joy. They can spark vision inside of us. And they can move us toward God-honoring ends. And in fact, the scriptures teach us that we should expect some things. Like we should expect, as Romans 8 says, redemption to come. We should expect uh, judgment to come, Hebrews chapter 10. Jesus actually tells us in Luke 12 that we should expect him to come back. But I think the problem with us, with our expect, is, is when it's rooted in these things like our own wisdom or self-righteousness or stability on these earthly kind of things, instead of being faithfully rooted in the promises and in the word of God. And so what I think we need this morning is, is sort of a reconstruction of our, of our thought processes that hold at least two biblical mindsets together on this. And the first one is this, that, that our desires for the future, they have to run alongside and in submission to Christ, whether they're fulfilled or not. And number two is that the goal for us cannot be the white picket fence or whatever it is that's at the end of your rainbow, but the goal for us is always an end of glorifying Christ, regardless if the picket fence shows up for you or not. And, and, and when those dreams aren't unfulfilled, as, as Proverbs says, I think we're, we're often left walking away even from the Lord, sometimes discontent, and we're going, God, hey, I, I, didn't, I didn't sign up you know, for this. Where, where are you at in, in, in all of this? This feels like an unhappily ever after. And that is exactly where we find our friend Jonah at this morning. Jonah's living in a false expectation, and, and what Jonah's trying to do is he's trying to fit God into his expectation instead of bringing his expectation or basing it on God. So if you haven't been hanging out with us, we've, we've been walking through the story of, of Jonah, and it's a storyline that works through four chapters, four scenes, and, and Jonah meets four sets of characters, and I'll quickly recap that for you if you haven't been hanging out with us. Uh, here's the snapshot of this. 
The first scene is in chapter one is the sea, and this is God where he is speaking to Jonah, and he sends Jonah to a foreign nation called Nineveh, but instead Jonah jets in the opposite direction toward Tarshish, and as a result, God sends a storm on Jonah, the fleeing prophet. Then the second scene in chapter two of Jonah is, is Jonah speaking to God. This is a prayer of, of desperation that Jonah has as he's drowning in, in the sovereign waters of, of God's will. And uh, God eventually sends this great fish to Uber Jonah to his original intended destination. And then in chapter 3 of Jonah, um, God is now speaking through Jonah to the great city of Nineveh. And we wrapped this up last week with our, uh, our, our verse of chapter 3, verse 10. Remember, it was that one, that one small verse that was packed with some theological dynamite where we talked about the nature of who our, our God is. And we said that, the heart of God always moves toward mercy, but the holiness of God always demands justice. And so today, what we're doing is we're opening up this final scene, uh, this final chapter in, in the book of Jonah with chapter 4, 1 through 4. And this time, God and Jonah are going to have a little bit of a conversation together. And, and actually, if, if we would have known ahead of time uh, what we know now, reading and studying into this text, we probably would have set this text, chapter 4, 1 through 4, into scene 3. Because as, as you'll read today, uh, Jonah is most likely still actually inside the city. But by the time we get to verse 5 of chapter 4, that's when he kind of moves out of, of the city. So today he's inside. Say inside. He's inside the city. So if you have your Bible, go with me to Jonah, chapter 4. Uh, we'll read together verse 1 through 4. And if you don't have uh, your Bible, you can feel free to uh, pull out your cell phone or whatever device. But I think there's something that really amazing that happens to us whenever our eyes connect with the Scriptures. Amen. Do you love Jesus, Rest Church? Are you ready to study His Word this morning? But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord, and he said this, The Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you well to be angry, Jonah? Do you well to be angry? Next week, what we're going to see from Jonah is God's going to bring this really amazing object lesson to teach Jonah his ways. And he's going to use a wind and a worm and a plant to, to get Jonah's attention. And he's going to intentionally cause some discomfort to the prophet Jonah. But, but for, that, for today, what we're going to see is that uh, Jonah is going to respond to what's happened previously. And then God's going to respond back to him. And it's the, the sovereignty of God, God's sovereignty to scold. And the way that he's going to scold is through a grace that he gives to Jonah. And if I was going to title this sermon today, I think I would call it A Tale of Two Hearts. Because that's really what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the, the story of Jonah's heart. And then we're going to look at the, the story of God's heart in response to that. And hopefully by the end of our conversation together this morning, we'll be able to figure out which kind of heart we got to. So we'll pray together and then we'll ask God just to come and teach us and walk through this together. Lord, we love you and uh, thank you for, for being God over us, for being God over uh, our mistakes and imperfections. And, and I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and teach us this morning, Lord. 
as we as we look at, into anger and, and how to have a righteous anger and as, as we look to find the, and have the grace that you give to us to extend to all people, it's an all or nothing kind of grace. And so I pray that you would speak to each one of us in here individually and specifically about um, how we can follow you better. We love you and all of God's people said, amen, amen. I think that most people, generally speaking, have probably heard, you know, the story of Jonah before. And in fact, they could probably uh, quote to you portions of the story of Jonah. But a lot of people, I think, believe that it, it, it ends at Jonah's repentance or at Nineveh's repentance even. As, he, uh, as Jonah gets released from the fish, that's kind of where we usually stop the story at. As he gets, you know, vomited up from the fish, but, but some people from that would be able to tell you, hey, but the story continues after the fish, and, and Jonah goes in and he preaches the house down at Nineveh, and people, uh, people re- repent, and, and everyone kind of thinks that the story just sort of ends right there. And, and, and then there's this whole other chapter that we tend to forget that, that really unfold the real lessons in the story of Jonah. And so I like to think of Jonah chapter three as kind of like the movie's over, and then uh, as we roll into chapter four, it's kind of like those, those, uh, the, those extra scenes at the end credits of movies. Does, does anybody here besides me fast forward to kind of get a sneak peek of those Easter eggs in the, in the movie? Yeah, and so that, that's what this kind of feels like to me, chapter four. It's this, this, this Easter egg kind of thing. It takes an unexpected sort of turn. And, and so what's happened in chapter three is the movie is ending Nineveh uh, in dramatic fashion. They've repented, they've turned to Yahweh, and it's a celebration time, right? 120, 130,000 people come down front for the altar call. Uh, everybody's high-fiving. Down to the last person when everyone repents there, and it ends on this note of triumph. And so what we expect Jonah to do is just to re- go back to his homeland, rejoicing and celebrating, but that's not what he does. And it takes this unexpected sort of turn. And Jonah, what he does is he goes into the corner and he pouts. He, he kind of throws a little temper tantrum. And, and this is Jonah's reaction to all of this repentance that, that has happened. And so the very first verse really shows us Jonah's heart. And this is what it says, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. This, this shift in direction, this change of plan from God, from him to stop uh, his wrath and, and instead relent, causes Jonah to lose his temper and to unrighteously be angry. Now, why do I say this is an unrighteous anger uh, from, from Jonah here? Why is this an unrighteous anger? Well, a righteous anger is usually rooted in, in the heart of God. This might be the emotion that you feel sometimes when God's standard of justice isn't met, whenever you see something or perceive something that's morally wrong. But unrighteous anger, on the other hand, is is usually rooted in our heart's desires, but not necessarily God's. Or another way to think about this is that God's anger, it's always controlled. Like you never see God fly off the hinges. You never see God lose his cool. Our anger, on the other hand, is often and predictably uncontrolled. God, in, in, in anger, in a righteous anger, the purpose, the goal of that anger is, is usually restorative. Our anger, on the other hand, what's our goal? It's usually to destroy, right? It's, it's to lash out. It's to hurt. God's anger is redemptive. Ours is reactive. Ours is a is, is selfish 
kind of anger. It's this, this is my way or the highway kind of anger, and I don't care who gets drowned in the wake behind me. Church, what I'm getting at is that it's okay for you to be mad, scripturally speaking, but it's not okay if your anger is rooted or if it's fruited in unrighteousness. And, and I mean, if you think about it, you know, if, if, if we didn't have a righteous anger, we would have never have things like MLKJ's I Have a Dream speech. But whenever we lash out to hurt because we're hurt, you and I, we need to recognize that it isn't at all the same as God's righteous anger. And so Jonah here, he, he has an unrighteous anger, and the, the text shows us this because of God's mercy that he's extending to, to Nineveh. And, and the text says there that Jonah's not just regularly angry. Look at it. It says that he is exceedingly displeased and angry. And so you and I, we shouldn't miss the intensity of the communication here because the Hebrew is really strong. In fact, the, the Hebrew uh, word for Jonah's displeasure there is ra. And, and, and it's no mistake, this, this is the same exact word that God had previously used earlier in chapter 1, verse 2, when God was talking about just how evil Nineveh was. And so we know right off the bat, this isn't a righteous anger from Jonah. But, but now, when you and I step back from the story, right, when we step back and look in at this, it, it feels a little weird, it feels a little weird looking in at God's response of mercy and then Jonah's response back to, back to God because in, in my experience, I, I don't know about you, but for the most part, I think that the pastor is pretty pleased when the people respond and repent, right? But Jonah's not. He, he is stomping around like, like a kid in the grocery store who doesn't get the Twix bar at checkout. Have you seen that? Jonah has this, this temper tantrum, and he refuses, he refuses to celebrate this God win for other people in his life. And I just wonder this morning, have you ever met someone like that who is just so incapable of celebrating the God wins in others' lives? They're typically jealous or, or angry or they're, they're insecure. And so what they usually try to do is they either try to one-up your, your God win themselves or what they'll do is they'll, they'll dismiss yours altogether. And what this is is it's fear-based and it's toxic and it's not of the Lord. And confessionally speaking, man, the church, we are notorious. The Big C Church, we are notorious for doing this. We cease to consider God's glory. We cease to consider the big C church that we're connected to. And so, look, I'll tell you straight up. I am abundantly and, and sufficiently and full aware that, that, that God could tomorrow choose to make this place, rest church, cease to exist if he so chooses to. And, and look, while I would be incredibly sad at that, do you know what the, the, the big C church would do at that moment? They would continue to march forward. The kingdom of God would still keep marching forward, amen? You know, I had a conversation playing uh, basketball the other night with this kid, and, well, he's not really a kid anymore, but he used to be really connected to Rest Church, and uh, he used to come all the time, and then he kind of, you know, fell off, and I uh, got to talk with him, and it was just like, hey, hey, man, how are you doing? And, and he was like, hey, I'm doing, I'm doing great, and it, it turns out he's actually going to Faith Center now, and he's really connected in there. 
And he was like, brother, I'm doing, I'm doing awesome. Here's what, here's what God's doing in my life. And I didn't ask. He just started sort of sharing with me. He was like, man, I've been, I've been reading Purpose Driven Life and experiencing God there. And, and um, I, I, my life group's on Wednesday and, and all of these things. And I was just like, man, praise God. Praise God that you are connected to the Big C Church, man. Praise God that you are going and, and, and serving and, and loving the church. And, and he went on, he reiterated how thankful he was for rest and what's, what it's done for him in the past and stuff. And, and I was just like, man, celebrate that God wins for someone else. And so naturally I'll just plug in here because we tend to do this uh, from, from time to time. Maybe this should be the main point today. Go to church somewhere. Go to church anywhere find a a a faithful uh jesus loving bible preaching faithful christian church and get connected in it and 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 go and plug in and serve and and give and love and be connected with the big c church because the church is a lot bigger than our little corner here on jefferson street amen gotta celebrate the god wins of others jonah he's incapable he's incapable of of doing this, and, and if you think about it, he has literally just come off preaching to the toughest audience in his entire life. He has preached to a terrorist state, essentially, and, and, and every person has responded positively, down to the very last person. And so you wonder, like, why, Jonah, why would he have this epic meltdown in this moment? Well, he actually explains to us why he's upset in verse 2. Look at verse 2. It says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country, that is why I made haste to flee for, to Tarshish. For I knew that you are gracious and God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I like this verse because we finally get some information. We finally get revealed to, to kind of what's been going on in this whole story the whole time. We get a, a sneak peek into what's been going through the mindset and the heart of Jonah uh, from the very beginning as he was fleeing the call of God on his life. And and, and, and Jonah actually uh, says here uh, three things I want to point out to you. He goes, I said, I fled, and I knew. Jonah said, Jonah fled, he made haste to flee, and Jonah knew. And, 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 and so let's look at this first one here. What does Jonah actually say? Look at the verse. He says, and he prayed to the Lord. He said, Lord, is this not what I said yet when I was still in my country? This this prayer, by the way, it's not, it's not just Jonah saying these things to God, but this is Jonah yelling these things at God. And, and, and Jonah here, he's trying to give God the I told you so kind of speech. He, he's saying this, he's going, God, didn't I say that this is what you would do the whole time? He says, I, I knew that you weren't just going to come in and smash Nineveh with your wrath, but that you're so full of mercy. And, and, and when you were sending me to preach to them and, and repent, that they might actually repent, and then I was going to look like a fool. And so at, at a lower level, this is, this is on Jonah's heart, that, that he looks like a fool because his prediction doesn't come true. And so maybe he's thinking about what his uh, peer prophets are, are thinking about him. But in a larger scale picture of what's going on here, Jonah believes that God um, should have judged the enemy with wrath and not mercy. And Jonah is angry because God has given mercy to repentant sinners in Nineveh instead of carrying out the destruction that Jonah had previously preached. And you talk about like, man, the, missing the forest for the trees, right? Because it's like, but Jonah, 
what, what if God would have treated you the way you, you were expecting him to treat Nineveh? If God would have looked at you and said, hey, you know what? Sorry, Jonah. Uh, I'm just going to kill you in this storm. Sorry, Jonah. You're actually going to get swallowed by this fish. Or sorry, Jonah. Yeah, you're going to drown here. Or sorry, Jonah. I'm not giving you a second chance. Or, or sorry, Jonah. I'm going to find someone else. But that's, that's not what God does here. He, he extends his mercy and, and, and Jonah is, is afraid here, and he said, that's what Jonah said was, was going to happen. Next in, in the text, he reveals to us why he fled in the first place. It says this, he, he says, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Jonah's yelling at God, he says, God, this is, this is the whole reason that I left in the very beginning. This is the whole reason that I left in the first place. And, and Jonah's saying, that, that he left because he knew. Say knew. See, Jonah knew God's nature. He, he knew exactly who God was. He says there, For I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Jonah said, Jonah fled, and Jonah knew. And Jonah's going, God, I, I, know, I, I know your nature. I knew that this was going to happen. And here's, and here's the real problem, God. This is what Jonah's saying. Jonah's going, God, you're just, you're just too nice to people. Your heart isn't, isn't too harsh. It's to, it's to help, and I can't handle it. He says, I, I knew that you'd relent from the destruction you said would come. And Jonathan Swift here, he, he writes this verse expressing uh, Jonah's mindset here, and he puts it like this, kind of funny. He's, he says, Jonah's thinking like this, We are God's chosen few. All others will be damned. There is no place in heaven for you. We can't have heaven crammed. That is Jonah's heart. See, churches, it's not, the, it's not, the, it's not that Jonah doesn't know who God is. The problem is that Jonah doesn't like what God does. And Jonah has taken his, his false expectations and he's, and he's tried to fit God into those expectations instead of basing his ex expectations on God. Now, now what perhaps maybe you didn't pick up from Jonah's prayer as you look back is that when Jonah begins to rebuke God, what Jonah does is he, he, tries, he takes God's own words back to him in an attempt to justify his own feelings. And this is what Jonah says, look at He says, I knew that you were a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So that's what he says. He uses God's words against him here. Now, this was a really common kind of way to talk about God, um, Numbers chapter uh, uh, 14, Nehemiah 9, Psalm 86, all kind of sort of saying the same thing. But the first time that we read it in the scriptures, it shows up at this point of conversation between God and Moses on Mount Sinai. And here's what it says in Exodus 34. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. He said this about himself. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that, right there, is where Jonah stops. Jonah leaves off the whole second half of what God says about himself in this statement. And, and, and the, the rest of it says this about God. 
but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Jonah intentionally leaves out this portion where the holiness of God always brings justice uh, upon those who are guilty and that they will be punished uh, generation after generation because it doesn't fit his expectation. Jonah is trying to set God against God here. He's using his own words. It's this self-identity misquote that comes from, from Jonah. He's reading the Bible selectively. He only brings the first portion out of, of verse 34 and leaves out the rest. And as a result, he, he creates this picture of God, a false expectation of God, as a God that simply loves everyone that doesn't bring judgment or evil, or judgment on evil, rather. And, and what God is, or what Jonah is doing here, church, it is a great, great danger for religious people. And, and especially, even those amongst us who are the most devout Christian. Because whenever you and I read the Bible in this attempt to go, aha, see, to, to prove that we're right, to state our own way, to use it to back ourselves up, to feel more righteous or to stroke our own egos, it really just makes us into a fool. Proverbs 26, 12 says that. Do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. And I'll just remind you, too, that another time in the scripture when we see someone come in and, and misquote and twist and set a false expectation off of God's word is, is when Satan does it with Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. And so, so how can you and I know? How can we know if we're reading the Bible correctly, if we're handling the, the word of truth precisely and, and, and rightly? Well, one way, I think, is if it humbles you when you read it when it critiques you as you read it, when it comes and it encourages you with God's love and his grace despite all of your flaws. Jonah here, he, he quotes back to God. He's, he's informing God of who God is. It's a self-identity misquote, and, and really what's happening is that Jonah, he's just disappointed with the character of God. He's disappointed with God's character. Jonah's angry about the kind nature of God. How ironic, right? For, 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 for this guy who's been given chance after chance after chance. And it shows us, it teaches us that he has missed this whole idea, this whole picture of God's covenant love. He's missed the whole boat on this. That, that he is merciful, slow to anger. He abounds in faithful covenant-keeping love. Say covenant. Covenant. See, it's super interesting to me here as you look into the text that, that Jonah, when he opens up this yelling at God, he actually appeals to the covenant name of God. He, he says there, Lord, or Yahweh translated as Lord. And this, this name of God, this personal name of God, this hasn't showed up for us since chapter 2. But now what Jonah's doing is he's, he's, he's uh, calling out to the, the, the personal covenantal name of God. And he says here, Yahweh. And this is a name that God had only revealed to his people Israel. And so it's the covenant of God with Israel that's on Jonah's mind here. And, and the covenant, by, by the way, just to give you a reminder of this, this is when the Lord had promised to, to preserve Israel to accomplish his purposes through them. 
And so Jonah is wrestling here theologically. He's wrestling with, but how can God keep his promises to uphold uh, his people and at the same time show mercy to a people that's not even his, especially people like the evil people in Nineveh? And so this is theological for for Jonah because there seems to be a contradiction in his mind between God's justice and God's merciful love. And look, Jonah knew, Jonah knew that God loved Israel. Jonah knew this, that God extended his mercy freely to his chosen people through the covenant. He felt this in the very marrow of his bones, that the but also he, he believed that this special covenantal love of God should in no way be extended to Gentiles, let alone the evil ones. And so remember, Jonah, he, he said, he, he fled, and he knew, and Jonah didn't want to obey God's commands to, to warn Nineveh because he feared that the people there would actually repent. That was, that was Jonah's fear. He feared that God would forgive them Jonah falsely expects, he falsely expects that God's divine mercy was somehow pigeonholed or the exclusive right to Israel. And and see, if you were to look at this story by cultural standards, they would have looked in at Jonah, the people of Israel, and said, hey, you know what, Jonah, he's a good patriot. They would have said, Jonah's a good patriot, though. And, and, and look, while loving your country and while loving your people is a really good thing, church, it can, also, it can also become a God thing. And when that happens, it's a bad thing because it's a sin thing. That, by definition, is idolatry. If, if, if at any time, loving your people or loving your country supersedes your love for Christ, or it causes you to exploit people, or, or in this case, to root for an entire class of people to, to spiritually drown and go to hell. It's idolatry. And, 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 and here at rest, by the way, when it comes to politics, we just say this. I'll, I'll read it to you. It's in our bylaws. It says this, at rest, we can be categorized as politically homeless, And I'll go on to read what it says. We believe that Christians are both strangers and exiles on the earth, meaning that this world is not our home and that our ultimate allegiance is to Christ's kingdom. Therefore, one's devotion to country, government, or policy should never exceed our devotion to Christ. That would be idolatry. Christians can become so irrationally blinded by culture wars, debates, and their own opinions about hot-button issues that they often sacrifice the gospel along the way. It's important for us to remember that Jesus Christ was neither Republican nor Democrat, and he was surprisingly detached from the political institutions and movements of his day. Therefore, Rest Church does not affiliate with any particular political party. See, with Jesus, it's not a democracy, but it's a king and a kingdom. It's not, as R.C. Sproul, it's not for the people, of the people, by the people, but it's about a king, and he rules whether you voted for him or not. And so as a missionary of God, Jonah, man, he should have been stoked, right? That everyone repents, that the salvation has come. He should, have, and he should have, instead of even going outside of the city, he should have responded by walking them and introducing them to this new God, to, to showing them steps of obedience and teaching them about God's character. But instead, he is furious that they have moved toward God and taken their first step of faith toward God. And, and, and so Jonah still felt to some degree that mercy had to be deserved. And these people did not deserve it. Because for Jonah, he was about law for them, but grace for me. 
Law for them, but grace for me. Grace for us, rather. And just so you know, systemically, this is how religious people work. Law for them, but grace for us. And so what they'll do a lot of times is they'll, 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 they'll go, okay, well, here's, here's, all, here's all the laws and here's all the rules and I'm gonna use this so it can straighten you out. It's gonna be like a bulldozer to run over you or I'm gonna use it like a hammer to, to straighten you out. Wop, wop, wop. Don't break the rules. Law for you. But then when they break the rules, and we all break the rules, says Romans chapter three, whenever they break the rules, they go, hey, but grace, grace for me though. You know, I'm a, I'm a really good, I'm a really good guy. I, I, I pick the right things mo- most of the time. You know, Jesus, he's about, can I, can I have his grace and, and forgiveness? Amen, brother. That, like, they're, they're going, law for you, but grace for me. That's, that's exactly Jonah's heart here. We've all got a lot of empathy and capacity for ourselves, right? But whenever we don't have it for others, that's a real problem, church. That's a real heart problem. And what God is trying to show Jonah and us here is that he has empathy and grace and love and mercy and compassion for everyone who would come to him and not just people like you and not just people like me. Anne Lamott, she once said this, you can safely assume that you've created a God in your own image when it turns out that that God hates all the same people that you do. It's Jonah's false expectation he's created that's, that's moved into this misapplication of his theology. See, Jonah's sin, it's, it's based in the correct view of God because, right, God, he is merciful, he is steadfast, he is unfailing. All of those things are true of God, but, but he leaves out the other truth, and then he grossly misapplies the first truth. And so just as Jonah, me, me and you, we can't let our, our expectations and our perceptions and our, our predispositions and traditions drive our theology, but instead we must bring those things under God and his word first. And so look, don't be too, what I'm saying, don't be too quick to judge Jonah here and not yourself. Because just like Jonah, look, me and you, most of the time I'd say culturally speaking, we root for God to crush our enemy. But Ezekiel chapter 18 says that the Lord takes no delight in the death of the wicked, and so that means that neither can me and you. Our longing, church, has to always be for the repentance and the restoration of God's foes and of ours. Daniel Addo, he adds to this, he says, hey, the big, the big question around the book of Jonah is this, are you comfortable with the fact that God loves your enemy? Are you comfortable with that? And I think this prayer, man, it, it really, it shows us everything that we really need to know about where Jonah's heart's at. He said and he fled and, and he knew and he gets pieces of the puzzle correct. And, and that just goes to show you and me that, look, you can have good theology and a bad heart and that's not okay. Like you can, you can say the wrong things in nice ways and that's not okay. Just as you can say the right things in wrong ways and that's still not okay. Jonah had God's word but he did not have God's heart. And that's a big problem. He's still trying to fit God into his expectations. And so according to Jonah, moving to verse three, it'd just be better off if he were dead. Look at verse three with me. Therefore, this is what Jonah says, therefore now, Lord, please take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. And so Jonah's going here. He's going, God, if you won't, if you won't just kill all of Nineveh, maybe you would just kill me instead. 
Jonah, Jonah cannot live with the thought that God would extend mercy to those people. And like the statement that he makes there, it's not funny at all. Please take my life. That's, that's not a funny statement at all. But the context that he says this in is, 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 is a little ridiculous. Because just the very thought of the repentance and salvation of Nineveh is enough and so painful to Jonah that he would rather die than to think about it. Jonah's worst nightmare in this moment has come true. And he even stated earlier on that this was the reason that he fled in the first place. Not out of the fear that he would be ineffective in his preaching, but that he would be effective in his preaching. So this is, a, this is some next level pouting church. Right? He's, got, he got, he's got some serious heartburn going on. And, and, and he says, I want, I want to die. And so Jonah's not just perplexed by this theological conundrum that he's in about Israel and, and Nineveh, but, but what we see is that at the deepest level, Jonah's real problem sits in his heart. It's all about his heart. Tim Keller says this on theological issues. He says, perhaps we could say that all theological problems play themselves out, not just in our intellect, but also in our, our commitments, our desires, and our identities. That's our hearts. And, and I think that verse 3, it teaches us maybe more than anything else, is that sometimes you and I, we create our own heartbreak through the false expectations that we set in front of ourselves. And sometimes we set ourselves up for this. Because look, anytime you come before God and you say, God, I won't serve you until you fill in the blank. God, I won't serve you unless you fill in the blank. Whenever we do that, the reality, church, is that whatever is in the blank, that's, your, that's our real God. That, that's, that's really who or what is sitting on the throne of our heart. And David Platt reminds us this, I love this quote, the Lord cannot be tamed on the leash of our expectation. And it's like you're reading this and you're like, man, doesn't Jonah just get it? Like, doesn't he get it? Jonah should know by now from the experiences of his call to go and, and then from the storm and the fish. He should know by now that he cannot control this God. Even in his disobedience, he can't make God do what he wants him to do. Because God will always be God. God will always be in absolute control of all things. He will always look to the counsel of his own will and it is all for his glory first and then secondary for our good. That's who our God is. Jonah's got this idol in his life from, from false expectation. And instead of Jonah turning to God and, and bringing his anxiety to God and, and bringing his questions before God like many of the psalmists do in the scripture, instead Jonah turns against God and he's yelling at him. And then in the last verse of, of chapter four, we see God in his response. Yahweh finally responds back to Jonah's pouting. And he responds with this incredible, incredible gentleness, this incredible kindness. And he responds to Jonah with a question. Look at this question that, that he asks. And the Lord says back to Jonah, do you do well to be angry? God, God has heard Jonah's heart this whole time. And now, now God's laying out his heart in front of Jonah. As he quietly rebukes Jonah with this question, he goes, Jonah, hey, is it right? Is it is it right for you to be angry with me? Is, 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 do you have anything to be angry about? 
And I want you to see the, par- the, the paradox here. Jonah, in, in his prayer, in his, in his tone, he's loud. God, Yahweh, in his response, he's soft. He says to Jonah, he says, look, you can yell at me, but I'm not, I'm not yelling back. Where Jonah's criticism is an unrighteous criticism, God's will, will be a righteous criticism. God's going, hey, Jonah, here's my heart. And I love here that, 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 that the Lord, that Yahweh, he, he confronts his prophet. He doesn't just overlook the mistake. He doesn't just sweep it under the rug. But instead, in this moment, he speaks the truth in love to Jonah. He speaks the truth in love to him. See, Jonah, he's, he's lived this life that's been so committed, man, to his own race, to his own nation. And what's going on is that there's this, there's this counterfeit God that's running around inside of Jonah's heart. And so God's going to have to deal with this idolatry that's inside of Jonah if Jonah's ever, ever going to find the infinite peace of resting in God's grace. To be able to see the forgiveness of God, that it is limitless and that it extends to every person who would come to him, who would respond. But church, it's never going to work for Jonah and it's never going to work for us whenever we try to fit our own expectations or God into our own expectations instead of bringing those before him. This is the tale of two hearts, right? Which, which heart Is yours more like this morning? Is it more like the the heart of of Jonah or is it more like the heart of Jesus? 